Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us again today. I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. This is Good Morning New York Real Estate, and I am Vince Rocco. On our show today, the Manhattan and Brooklyn markets are made up of numerous sub-markets or neighborhoods, all of which have unique characteristics. Although headlines in 2019 were dominated by negative market stories confirming an overall downturn in the New York City condominium market, numerous neighborhoods experienced continued demand, providing, uh, proving rather that well-located and well-priced developments are still highly sought after by today's consumers. Where are those neighborhoods and who is actually buying? What price points are in demand and how much of a discount is necessary off the advertised sale price to make a deal? All of this and so much more as Good Morning New York gets underway on this Tuesday morning. We are coming to you live from all of our home offices today. In the news this morning, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg is contributing $10.5 million to a tri-state COVID-19 tracing program, according to Governor Andrew Cuomo. This will aid in the shelter-in-place restrictions being lifted over a period of time. The Metropolitan Transportation Authority in New York City is urging the city to take aggressive action to address the growing number of homeless people sleeping on our subway trains. This is causing the coronavirus to spread more rapidly. As the city tries to open this summer, this problem will be needed. This uh, problem will be needed. Uh, the well, hold on, let's say it again. Every uh, night to keep the virus from spreading. The problem is the homeless. We got to keep them from spreading. Seven weeks into the shutdown, the pandemic puts an end to work-life balance for many who have been forced to work at home. How will this change the need uh, of future housing? Through all the vol uh, volatility in the economy right now, some buyers have put their search for a home on hold, yet others have not. So according to Showing Time, the real estate industry's leading showing management technology provider, they say that buyers have started to re uh, reappear over the last several weeks. Why would uh, people be setting appointments to look at prospective homes when the per uh, process of purchasing a home has become more difficult with shelter-in-place orders throughout the country? Well, several reasons. One, some people need to move, whether because of a death in the family, a new birth, divorce, financial hardship, or a job transfer, some families still need to make a move and as quickly as possible. The second reason is real estate agents across the country these days have become very innovative using uh, utilizing technology that allows purchasers to virtually view homes, meet uh, with mortgage professionals, and consult with their agent throughout the process. All of this can happen within the required safety protocols, so real estate professionals are continuing to help families make important moves. Also, buyers understand that mortgage rates are a key component when determining their monthly mortgage payments, Mortgage interest rates are very close to all-time lows and afford today's purchaser the opportunity to save tens of thousands of dollars over the lifetime of the loan. Bottom line, many families have decided not to postpone their plans to purchase a home, even in these difficult times, and are out there starting to look. My suggestion is that if you need to make a move, reach out to your real estate professional today so you have a trusted advisor to safely and professionally guide you through the process. I'm going to talk to a team of real estate professionals from Halstead Development Marketing this morning that are available to assist you and your family and friends with purchasing a new condo in a new development in all locations 
in New York City. We will break down how the market is responding due to the coronavirus and our predictions on the recovery process through the rest of this summer. We are going to discuss the pre and post COVID-19 activity in Manhattan and Brooklyn, what has been the absorption rate since the start of this pandemic, how are virtual showings working out, and what are some of the tools that we are using to get consumers educated. Some contract signings and closing anecdotes, there's always great stories there, predictions on how we come out of this pandemic and return to business as usual. What will things look like in the short term? And what is on the minds of our developers, those people who build these skyscrapers that we all love to sell and all love to buy and live in? What are they thinking out there? What's on their plate, both professionally and personally? So with me today is Steve Kligerman. He is president of uh, Halstead Development Marketing. Uh, Hunter Frick is senior vice president of marketing at Halstead Development Marketing. And Robin Schneiderman, managing director at Halstead Development Marketing. So let's get started. I'm going to tell you a little bit, a little bit about them in a minute, but let's get started here. So in Manhattan, guys, uh, in January and February, the Manhattan market showed positive signs of growth with 146 units in contract. Uh, Q1 2020 saw 49% over Q1 2019. So $877 million versus $444 million. That was a 30% uh, increase in total new development sales volume. Q1 over Q4 in 2019, all 11% increase in absorb uh, and 11% increase in absorption with 201 units versus 178 signed Q1 2020 over Q4. Uh, 2019. So my question is, as we've come into March, both markets, Manhattan, Brooklyn, and also Long Island City, Queens, wherever we are selling, uh, the market sort of came to uh, one of my favorite uh, favorite uh, expressions is full stop. So in your opinion, what has affected uh, this full stop, obviously the virus, but expand on that a little bit. Steve, if you can take that one for us. Sure. Well, you know, first off, Vince, you know, as you said, we were off to a great start in January and February, and Robin can definitely speak more to that as he worked very closely with our research team to come uh, to, to analyze all that data. But, you know, what, what happened mostly is that when, when people were not allowed to uh, physically visit sites anymore, we had to quickly either tool or retool, depending on the site, to come up with virtual tools that would allow buyers this a similar experience to what they were doing on site. And Hunter will speak more to that. But also psychologically, immediately people started to think, what what is the future going to be? How long is this going to take? And, you know, what impact will that have on me both economically, emotionally, physically? Uh, so there were a lot of factors that, 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 came into play there and it, it took a number of weeks for things to start to build up where buyers were starting to learn about the new tools and feel comfortable and start to plan for when they come back to work. So there were a lot of different factors all coming together at once. Plus New York, unfortunately, was leading the way in COVID cases where the rest of the country was lagging. So New York was very quick to act. So the New York City market quickly cooled while the rest of the country was still you know, somewhat chugging along. Yeah, Robin. Um, <clears throat> based on the numbers and 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 the, and the data that Steve was just talking about, uh, so for the forty units that closed in the first quarter of this year, okay. And by the way, you know that that's that's an amazing uh, feat coming out of twenty nineteen, which we'll talk about later. But pricing was down an average of eight point five percent off the asking prices. 
So um, I'm assuming, you know, that's across the board in all boroughs and all of the developments that Halstead is marketing. What is the, what was the feeling of the developers kind of meaning the consumer or the buyer somewhere in the middle to get that discount and, and to close a deal? Sure. Um, first of all, the, the biggest difference really is that the life cycle of some of these condo projects was, was in a different phase. Um, so you had a lot of uh, buildings that were developed starting in, let's call it uh, 2016, 2017. And now we're coming to the, the, the tail end and they were uh, bringing in their first uh, purchasers that had signed contracts over the past couple of years. So now, you know, the developer, you know, is somewhat more motivated to, you know, make deals happen. Um, they have, uh, you know, uh, they're in a different phase of that cycle. And hopefully I think that, you know, the purchasers finally were feeling like they were getting a little bit better of a deal. Um, a lot of them were sitting on the sidelines, in my opinion, for a long time. Uh, so the uh, the ability to, number one, make an offer, feel like they were getting something and actually close within, say, 30 and 60 days, to me, really made the difference in the marketplace uh, in Q4 going into Q1 2020. Talk to us a little bit also uh, about the... Um you know, we say eight eight point five percent off the last asking price. But talk to us a little bit about what the concessions, because everybody is talking about concessions. You know, I'm old enough to remember when you know these new condo developments started, and I joke all the time about, uh, you know, the purchase price was the purchase price. Buyer pays everything. Uh, developer pays nothing. It is what it is. If you don't want it, <laughs> if you don't sign a contract, ten people behind you in the waiting room, and we all know that that used to happen. We'll sign a contract or whatever. Today, obviously, it's a whole different ballgame. So uh, what types of concessions are you seeing out there uh, today? In fact, what I did see recently was one Manhattan place, Extel, uh, is now offering uh, a concession uh, of rent to buy. Um, they've talked about it for a while, plus some steep discounts, I would assume, if you're buying. So what kind of concessions you know, through the first quarter of this year uh, did we see with our developers? Sure. So uh, first of all, the eight and a half percent off the last asking price was in the Manhattan new development market uh, specifically. Um, that was from our Q1 2020 uh, market insight that we published recently. Um, and it's important to note also some of those prices, eight and a half percent off the last ask. If you looked at the original Schedule A price, it actually you know could be you know even more than eight and a half percent from original uh, pricing. And that's just on the absolute dollar that the that the purchaser actually paid. In addition to that, some of the concessions that are being offered in in, in today's market are sponsored paid transfer taxes. Um, so the the transfer taxes can equal uh, 1.825% of the purchase price. Um, and that's a, a credit at, at, at closing that the sponsor would pay in a... Uh, in a seller's market, typically transfer taxes are always paid by the buyer. Um, in addition, there are some incentives going on uh, centered around common charges. Uh, so, you know, a sponsor can, you know, pay, say, you know, two to three, or in the, the case that you mentioned with Xtel, I believe they were uh, offering five or, or even 10 years of, of common charges uh, at closing. Yes, correct. So, um, and then, you know, the 20% off uh, that we're hearing that uh, Xtel just put out, you know, I think 
to me, that's a little bit more of a marketing piece. Um, if you look at the, uh, the, the, the Schedule A prices that they're asking right now and where some of those deals are closing today, it's basically the same number. So that's really something that I think you're just, uh, you know, doing it to, you know, get the word out. They want brokers, you know, to, to be thinking about that specific project. And that's, that's really, uh, you know, where I think that is with uh, One Manhattan Square. Yeah, and everybody, everybody wants to, everybody wants to feel like they got a deal, right? So it's, it's a great way to attract people. Uh, plus, uh, you know, no no offense to that one building, but you know, it's a building of over eight hundred apartments. Um, Correct. You know, so you know, they they've got to do something to continue to push sales. I would say that's an outlier. I would not say that's the norm in the industry. Steve, uh, uh, talk a little bit about the sales volume increase in Q1 at $5 million and above. So that, that's been, you know, $5 million to $10 million and then over $10 million kind of uh, crashed again. But all of a sudden, 5 to $10 million uh, purchases in Manhattan seem to have uh, heated up again. What's that about? Yeah, uh, again, I think, it, I think it's, about, it's, it, it's about a convergence of supply, demand, and pricing. When you have pricing that, you know, is, is sliding down, Reasonably, you know, if we use the eight percent number, eight percent on a five million dollar uh, property, you know, is is real money. You know, you're talking almost a half a million dollar decrease in asking price, not selling price. Right. So um, I think you know between the softening of prices, uh, historically low interest rates, built up buyer demand. You know, I've always said, and and you know, we've worked together for a long time. I've always said you can only hold back the the U.S. consumer so long. Um, people eventually will move. And I think in the beginning of the year and towards the end of 19, consumers felt like prices had softened enough um, that it was time to get out there and, and start to purchase, particularly because if you get on the front end of the curve, then you still get the pick of the litter of the better units that are available in each of the buildings, the better views, the better exposures, the better layouts, um, you know, and you might get a bit, little bit better deal because as sales momentum continues to build, developers would be less negotiable. So I, I think there's a convergence of all that. And I also think a lot of the marketing um, started to focus on, you know, the fact that there were slightly better deals out there. Uh, developers had offered a little bit higher commission splits in order to lure brokers, to, you know, back into new development. Uh, some developers even offered um, advanced payments of commissions so that brokers would, would be able to be compensated sooner because obviously if it's a long lead time, a broker you know, may choose to take a buyer to a resale where they could make, you know, money a little faster than a new development. Some brokers might do that. But in general, I just think that the market was really coming to a sense of equilibrium. The supply still outweighed demand, but they were getting closer. All right. With that, we'll take a break. Good morning. New York is just getting underway on this Tuesday morning. We're coming right back after the break with these guys. So don't go away. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. 
At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back, and we're talking uh, about new condo developments in the New York City neighborhoods. And with us today is Steve Kliegerman, who is president of Halstead Development Marketing. He's responsible for the operations direction and management of all new business, client relations, uh, pre-development planning, which is so important in this market, and marketing and sales uh, teams, along with his unmatched team of sales and marketing professionals. He has built the development marketing division into the market leader in our industry through unparalleled customer service, creative marketing, and record-setting sales teams. Steve is a graduate of the George Washington University and a licensed real estate broker since 1989. He previously owned and operated his own company uh, that emerged with Halstead in 1998. Uh, Robin Schneiderman is a managing director within uh, the uh, Halstead Development Marketing uh, Group. And he brings a wealth of product and market knowledge along with a deep background in residential sales to assist clients in maximizing new developments potential from site acquisition through sellout. Some of the city's largest developers and boutique firms alike seek out Robin's market prowess from the earliest stages of new development, key operative, their earliest stages of development, even before a site is acquired. Robin consults with his clients and their capital partners pulling together the crucial information needed to underwrite the deal and project future sales. Uh, He used to be, at the start of his career, a top agent at another firm in New York City. He lives on the Upper East Side with his wife and two children. He is on the Syracuse University Real Estate Advisory Board and a Rebney member. And also with us today is Hunter Frick, who is Senior Vice President of Marketing, again at Halstead Development Marketing. He's directed successful marketing campaigns for more than 100 luxury residential developments from acclaimed local and global developers. He gets involved at the earliest stages to define project frameworks and assesses marketing uh, expectations. He helps developers deliver unique properties by assembling and managing acclaimed architects, forward-thinking interior designers, and amenity co-brands that appeal to each project's demographic based on economic market and consumer research. He is also a graduate of the George Washington University. Guys, I did not know that. Uh, that you both went to the same school. Hunter launched his career in Washington, D.C., working with regional and national home builders. He currently resides in the West Village 
and East Hampton, New York, two of my favorite places on this earth, with his partner and miniature Josh Allen Huey. So, guys, you know, again, welcome and uh, thank you for joining us today here on Good Morning New York. So, just continuing our conversation. So, we talked a little bit about Manhattan and and some of the uptick. We've got a lot more to go, though. But let's talk a little bit about um, the Brooklyn marketplace. So, Steve, in your opinion, high level, why or how is Brooklyn uh, always different than the Manhattan marketplace, and maybe more especially today? in today's marketplace. Well, and I'd really love for Robin and Hunter to jump in as well, but they, the Brooklyn marketplace, first of all, was it was a um, much less mature marketplace 10, 15 years ago than it is today. So, you know, versus Manhattan, which has been a, a mature marketplace for quite some time, Brooklyn really in the last 10 to 12, 15 years has seen a tremendous amount of, of new development um, growth both on the uh, condominium side and on the rental side. So the housing stock, um, you've got two forms. You've got the older pre-war, beautiful townhomes and, and co-op buildings. And then, you know, about 12 years ago, you started to see the advent of a lot of condominium building. So the, the, the stock is newer. Um, it, it has a younger feel. The amenities are, are a bit more state-of-the-art, but also Brooklyn has, you know, what is it, 48 or so distinct neighborhoods. And I, I think Brooklyn, uh, better than Manhattan, has done a great job of holding on to the fiber of those neighborhoods and keeping some of the um, original feel that, that, that made Brooklyn such a wonderful place to live. It's also one of the, it, Brooklyn itself, I think, would be the fifth or sixth largest city in the country. If it was yeah. just its, if it's own, you know, its own city instead of a borough. So, uh, Hunter, so I, I wanted to ask you because just as Steve said, I mean, there are so many different neighborhoods. I mean, there are a lot of neighborhoods in Manhattan also, but in Brooklyn there are so many more. And so, when you're working with developers and you sit down at the onset of these projects, um, you know, do you see a common element of design, a common element of of um, anything to do with uh, amenities, uh, with apartment layouts and sizes, or are those neighborhoods? really is so different that the buildings are all very different. You know, I think that each each neighborhood within Brooklyn has its own niche, and I think that's what has given it its not only domestic, but also global appeal, right? Brooklyn is a, is a, is a brand name throughout the world at this point. Um, so, so we work, you know, in the, each of these micro locations throughout Brooklyn to really carve out uh, a unique offering to the neighborhood. So we're working on assembling all the all the design teams and marketing teams that help position the product and also the neighborhood, and you know really identifying what those those key selling points are from each from each neighborhood. Um, and it, it also, if you look in the, in the past decade too, the overall product offering throughout Brooklyn, you know, it it, it matches that of Manhattan, right? It, at first, it was a it was considered a trade off in a lot of people's eyes to have to move to Brooklyn or to want to move to Brooklyn. But if you look at the overall offering, it, it's 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 equivalent, and in some cases, even better. Let me ask you. Uh, so you know. In the old days in Manhattan, uh, people used to go to specific neighborhoods to buy specific properties because of schools, because of transportation, and they basically didn't go all over the the city of uh, the the borough of Manhattan looking. Today, it's a whole different ballgame, and it has been for a while. So people will go from neighborhood to neighborhood, building to building. Uh, Is it the same in Brooklyn, or are they still sticking to uh, specific areas because of schools for transportation or whatnot and believe it believe it or not there are they actually will also go borough to borough 
<laughs> not just, uh, you know, all within, um, you know, one particular borough. Uh, I think, you know, in Brooklyn, you know, you definitely are starting to, to see um, attraction by by specific uh, customers within each uh, neighborhood. I, I tend to see people that want to be on the water as one particular uh, type of customer. They just really appreciate um, the views of Manhattan. And yeah. then you have the people that really want to be um, and have, like I'll call it the West Village neighborhood feel that's more like the Cobble Hill, um, Borum Hill, and you know even starting to feel like Gowanus and Park Slope for that matter. And then the, the third, se- third segment would be the Williamsburg Greenpoint fire, which is typically more, I'll call, you know, millennials are, are, are there more. The families are starting to get to come to that area. One of the things that's holding back, I think, Williamsburg is a more of a family environment as schools. I think that's something that they'll figure out um, in the near future. And then the last one is downtown Brooklyn. People that just love the convenience and transportation uh, offerings directly to Manhattan and want to be in a tower with uh, with views and amenities and and at a at a much more affordable price than Manhattan. So, if you were to pick the sweet spot uh, in Brooklyn for uh, from a price per square foot, what neighborhood would you call out in Brooklyn? Uh, <clears throat> I think that you know, for new development, um, you're seeing the majority of neighborhoods trade somewhere in let's call it the thirteen to $1,400 square foot range. Uh, the, 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 the area that is the, the peak in terms of pricing on a price per square foot basis is the waterfront uh, offerings in Brooklyn Heights, uh, Dumbo, and Williamsburg. All right, so one bedrooms accounted for 44% of all new contracts signed in Q1, and two beds were at 39%. The larger apartments fell off. Why do you think that was? This, this, this is Q1, so January, February, March of this year. March, of course, we understand, but not a bad number for two months. There's really actually been a trend, not only in Brooklyn, but also in Manhattan towards smaller apartments. Uh, you know, we went, we pre, uh, you know, this this development boom, there was a, a big spike in larger apartments in Manhattan as well. Uh, but in the last, I would say, one to two years, uh, we've noticed a, a, a significant uh, increase in purchasers for, for one-bedroom apartments and, and two-bedroom apartments. It's, it's really um, it's a New York City-wide wide trend. And why? I think really it comes down to price and affordability. Um, there's a, a, a big supply of, of larger apartments and offerings throughout. And I think that people that are you know, interested in buying larger apartments tend to uh, have tend to be a little bit more experienced. They probably bought a, 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 and sold a home in the past. And now, you know, they see all this inventory and all these different options throughout. And I think it just creates a lack of, uh, of sense of urgency. Yeah. I, I also, I also think that uh, rents have skyrocketed over the last number of years. And I think that, uh, that tenants, you know, living in a, a studio or a small one-bedroom apartment, which tend to be twenty to thirty percent smaller than your your average size condo in that same range, a studio or one bedroom, are feeling they're a little squeezed, uh, feeling like they're paying a very high rent. And at this point, if they're paying such high rent, why not pay it in a mortgage as well and build your own equity instead of paying somebody else's mortgage? 
Yeah, well, that that that's uh, that that's very true. So, uh, just quickly before we go to break, waterfront living. Okay, you know we know in in Manhattan it's park views, water views, waterfront living in Brooklyn. Is that a major requirement when people are out there shopping? And of course, that would take them to specific neighborhoods. But is that a major requirement, or does it just come with the program with great building, great price per square foot, great apartment, great this, great that? And oh yeah, by the way, it has waterfront. Is that a necessity? I don't know that it's a necessity. Uh, it's a nice amenity, uh, just like a view is. But again, it really depends on your price point. If you want to live on the water, just like almost anywhere else in the world, you're going to pay a premium. Um, so I'm not sure that it's a necessity, but certainly, you know, buyers uh, look at every aspect of a property. They look at the location, they look at the views, they look at the light, they look at the amenities. Um, but one size doesn't fit all, which is why there are so many different neighborhoods in Brooklyn and so many different uh, neighborhoods in Manhattan. And, and there's something for everybody. It's the great thing about New York is there literally is something for everybody. You know, you can live you can live on the beach in, 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 in Brooklyn. I mean, how many people can say that they can live on the beach in, in New York City? It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, no, it's true. The, uh, right, guys, the last thing also is access to parks, access to parks. Right. Yeah. So and yeah. outdoor space and greenery, just, you know, you, typically, you know, the buildings in the Brooklyn Heights and Dumbo and uh, Williamsburg, for that matter, have access to parks on the water. I agree. All right. We're live from um, all of our home offices today on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. I am Vince Rocco. We're coming back after these messages. So don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. 
If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back with Steve Kligerman, Robin Schneiderman, and Hunter Frick from uh, Halstead Development Marketing. Hunter, so with shelter-in-place being the new order of the day from the state of New York, we have adopted the virtual showing scenario more than ever before. How has this affected showings, and what is the thought uh, by the consumer? Um, what, what are the consumer's thoughts about how this is working for them, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I'm happy to report that you know we've seen a lot of interest. We've had about we've had a few hundred um, virtual appointments since the shelter in place took effect. Okay, I think that um, uh, New Yorkers in general are are early adopters. Um, so this transition for some has seemed um, a little bit more natural than than others. You know, I uh-huh. heard I heard uh, we received a few hundred inquiries for a listing in Brooklyn. Uh, some of our condo projects continue to see. Um, a, a large volume of interest. Um, you know, the customers that are scheduling appointments are really a combination of follow-up for pre-COVID and then ones that are new to the market. And I think it's 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 a good indication that many of these virtual appointments, which we can go into in a second, um, are taking about 45 minutes. So anyone who's spending 45 minutes on their phone with a virtual stranger, you know, I think that's a good indication that it's someone that... I agree, and I and I think it's genius. Talk a little bit though about the tools that we're using as a as a, de- a, de- a development group uh, for the consumer out there. What kind of tools are we using or providing the consumer or the buyer out there so they can actually look at a property and get a good understanding as they're being walked through with one of the sales agents? Sure, I think it's uh, important to differentiate what we're doing on-site versus off-site sales. So. Our projects that were that had sales galleries offsite, we have recordings of the sales path that emulates a guided tour that the buyer would experience if they were there with an agent. So they get a sampling of the neighborhood, the kitchens, the bathrooms, um, all of the amenities. So you know, it's it's essentially a guided tour within their home. You know what this reminds me of? Um, this reminds me of the days when <clears throat> we were selling out of a sales office, and and, and also today we still do it. When the building isn't done yet, for example, and you're selling off a floor plan. So, you know, people say to me, oh, I don't know if I can do anything on a virtual tour. And my response has been, well, why not? You come into a sales office, you see a bunch of renderings, you talk to the salespeople, you look at floor plans. You're not in the building smelling the air or looking at the view. It's what difference is it? And so when you kind of appeal to them that way, the light bulb goes off, I think, and they say, oh, yeah, sure. Well, all right, that, that makes sense. And, you know, I personally have sold many, many apartments off of just floor plans with renderings, you know, in my days in the past. And Hunter, you certainly know that. So at the end of the day, I think it's a great thing. But when I hear people today say, well, you know, I really need to see it. Well, if the building is up, eventually you can, but you'll get a preliminary view. Um, What though, uh, because a couple of things that I have, I don't have a virtual tour or did not because, you know, COVID-19 came smashing down on all of us very last minute, and a lot of us weren't prepared for video or, or, or virtual tour. What are we doing in those cases to get the consumer or the buyer educated on what our product is or what they're interested in? Yeah, we, so for our, it's been, it's been an interesting process, right? So like you said, some of these tools we already had, some of the things we had to retool because we're conducting sales 
you know, around the world in some, in some cases. So luckily for the majority of our as built product, the one that's finished, we had, we had 3D walkthroughs created, but you know, Zillow, Zillow group and other, other, um, other websites have taken interest. So, you know, a lot of brokers have been contacting their sellers saying, there's this tool, I need you to film your home and we'll upload it online. So, you know, there's household, household cameras, um, started probably a thousand dollars to $3,000 that I think will be commonplace for every single real estate agent to have, you know, there's the Rico, the Matterport cameras. So these are words that probably no one really knew before this all, this all set in, but I think will be, you know, (laughs) well known after. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Like I said, it kind of came slamming down on us with like a ton of bricks. So, you know, for, the, for those for the buildings that that are up there already. So, you know, um, Robin, what uh, what are you seeing um, or what are you hearing better better asked uh, about contract signings and then eventual closings? Are people reluctant to sign a contract when they really haven't seen a property or are they going forward because as we talked about earlier, it's the right building, it's the right apartment, it's the right price point, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think, you know, there's some buyers that, uh, as Hunter said, were, were in the market pre COVID. Um, right. So they had already gotten comfortable with what they were looking for. Um, they had been out probably, you know, on multiple open house tours and maybe even gone back to a specific uh, building more than once. And those people, I think, got enough um, excitement over a property. And then that I think they were able to use COVID a little bit from a negotiating standpoint. And I think that was impactful in getting some of those buyers across the finish line. What I've noticed uh, going forward is we are seeing more people um, doing virtual tours, um, and engaging with our sales teams. But I do feel a lack of urgency for, let's call it the post-COVID buyers, the people that are entering the market now. Um, and, you know, from everything I'm seeing and hearing and monitoring uh, contract sign data daily, I, I think that the market could be as much as, you know, 90 to 95% off in, in absorption uh, since, uh, let's call it April 1st. Well, um, I, I think, say, you know, yeah. There was some activity, you know, the end of March into the first couple weeks of April. And, you know, the truth of the matter is I think that the rest of the year is going to be challenging. It's going to be slow. Uh, people need to, you know, readapt to what's, you know, in front of them. And they're going to want to see where the market lands. Because um, the truth is, I don't really feel like there is a market right now. And that's something that I think you're going to start to hear about more. Well, before before this this meltdown, I mean, obviously, you know, we've always talked about on this show that there really is, you know, everybody wants to pin a market to a market, right? So lately, there has really not been a market or every street or every building or every neighborhood has been its own individual market. But what I wanted to ask you, Robin, as a follow-up to that, um, your comment, which I I 100% agree with, but do you think that the consumer post-COVID is a little more serious if they're out there and they're requesting things, you know, pre-COVID, you know, they'll run around, they'll look at buildings, they'll, they'll search on Street Easy and all these sites, whatever. Post-COVID, though, do you think that people are like more, as I said at the top of the show, there are people who need to move, have to move, want to move, whatever. So they're taking it in stride and they're doing the best that they can with the equipment that they have to, to check these things out. Do you think they're a little more serious than not? I mean, I, I'm thinking maybe they are, but I don't really have enough data. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, if anybody that, you know, needs to move, will will do that. I think the question is, will they ultimately become renters or buyers? Yeah. Um, if they have yeah. a, you know, if they feel that the market is, is, is declining more, um, you know, they may feel like they're not getting as good of a deal um, and they may want to see where the dust settles. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that absorption, unfortunately, is going to be down the remainder of the year. Um, what I'm thinking that's going to hopefully create a little more sense of urgency is um, if actual individual investors come back into the to the marketplace. So for a long time, the condo pricing and the rental pricing has been so wide, meaning the cost to to own versus rent. Um, if 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 somebody wanted to buy an apartment and immediately rent it out, and they can make a, a reasonable yield on cost again, that to me is something that will ignite the market again. And that but we've lost that individual investor in the marketplace for a few years in new development. Yeah, which is a great really segue. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think that's a really good point. I, I also think that uh, I do think that the buyers that are out there that are taking the time to do virtual tours and spend the time with our sales teams are serious because we are seeing, you know, a reasonable amount of offers given what's going on right now in deals. I mean, between uh, new signed contracts and offers, I think we've got, you know, close to 30 deals in one in in one phase or another which is not bad uh, given what's going on out there right now um you asked about like buyer's comfort so what we're doing at a number of our sites the rowan in astoria 11 hancock um in harlem uh i believe the vandewater uh up by columbia university just agreed to do this as well um is we're offering buyers what we call a satisfaction guarantee where if they enter into a purchase agreement now when our sales office or on-site models, whichever whichever that building has, um, are available to be seen again, you have a, a five days to visit the sales office or the model and either choose to continue with your transaction or not. So we're giving buyers that ability, Vince, as you said, to kind of touch it and feel it. It may not be your exact apartment, but at least you're getting to see the actual materials. You're getting to touch them. You're getting to get a better feel for the product. So that's something that a number of our clients have agreed to do. I think it's a great way to uh, engage a buyer. And I, I highly doubt that buyers will visit the sales offices and decide not to proceed afterwards. So I think it's a it's it's a, a minimal risk for a high return for a developer. Steve, talk a little bit, if you can, about the banking and the financing, financial position today. We're hearing all kinds of stories about closings being backed up for months, uh, people not necessarily getting financing on their loans so easily because their portfolios drop with the stock market crash, on and on and on. What are you seeing and hearing from your contacts at the banking institutions today? So, you know, it's a little bit all over the place as things change rapidly. Uh, but the, what the banks are doing with new development is they're, they're making sure that those developments are still what they consider to be viable. Is there any sales velocity continuing to go on? What percentage are they sold? Banks typically want to see a new development at 50% in order to lend, although they make exceptions all the way down to 15 or 20%, depending on the quality of the project and the velocity of, the, of sales. Uh, what I am seeing, though, is that banks are taking a second look at the buyer to make sure that they still have their job. Are they still getting paid yeah. the same amount of money? Have they had a pay reduction? Are they on furlough? Is their company uh, continuing to operate? Uh, are their cash reserves still there or did they lose too much money in the stock market to have proper cash reserves? So the banks are taking another look, but I'll tell you that we have closed 
almost every pro almost every contract that you know was supposed to close on time or near on time. We've got a couple of buyers who need a little bit more time because they have lost some money in the stock market or they did get a salary reduction. But for the most part, industry-wide, I think we're closing at least 80% of the deals out there. All right, good. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what the future of the sales offices are going to look like post-COVID and what are our developers thinking about these days. So more with this group uh, right after these messages. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back. And marketing and strategy and public relations is always the pinnacle of all of these projects and always has been from day one. As we all know, without marketing, we couldn't get clients to come in and see and or sell these units. So, Hunter, how um, has or will marketing plans change for each of these projects, these development projects across the board uh, going forward post-COVID? Uh, what, in your opinion, will be the new focus on how we get our, our products to market? And what, are we, what tools will we be using to do that? So, so marketing has always been multi-channel and over, you know, the past 10 years, the channels have essentially doubled, right? So there's been the layer of social media, um, public relations, digital advertising. So I really see this, this virtual sales environment as, as an additional channel. So everything that would be experienced in person has to be readily, readily, readily available online. You have to have a sales gallery experience online. You have to have 3D walkthroughs of every single unit type in the building. And probably you need to be able to experience every neighborhood virtually too. You know, whether that's a guided walkthrough or, or it's a, a film that's put together specific for the project, um, it, it's something that, that, that we'll have to, to, to assemble. Um, I also see um, developers starting to give back. Uh, that's become commonplace in, the, in, the, in today's market. So that ranges, uh, we have a few, few clients who are giving back to, to a local hospital by donating meals 
We have another client that's uh, funding parks to stay open. So New Yorkers have a green space to experience during this time. So I, I see that as really, you know, it's a marketable connection to for our projects that, um, so it has a closer connection to the community we're in. Um, so, so sales offices, in your opinion, uh, obviously um, will be more more of a presence online. But will there be will there be physical sales offices? And then, how do we then handle, you know, uh, open house, you know, Saturdays and Sundays when you know multiple people come into a sales gallery? I mean, how are we going to do that going forward? Is there any thought being put to all of that these days? Absolutely. So, you know, I think it's important to note that technology can support relationships that brokers have with their customers, but it'll never replace in-person dynamics. Um, So while investors would be comfortable never experiencing a sales gallery, someone investing $10 million in their, in their home, that that's a different conversation. So what we're doing and, you know, we're, we're, we're really leading the way we're, um, we, we realize that probably brokers and, and customers will be hesitant to return to the sales environment. So we're creating new guidelines um, to facilitate a more comfortable, comfortable buying experience. You know, th- there'll be no open houses for the foreseeable future. Everything will be by appointment. Um, before that appointment, there'll probably be a, a pre-appointment where, you know, all of the information can be, can be sent to the agent so that the in-person appointment is, is, you know, a little bit more tailored, a little bit more concise. You're not lingering around the sales gallery. Um, you know, probably all customers and, and the buyers will be required to wear a mask and gloves for the immediate future. And, you know, and the sales directors will probably be opening and closing things. So, um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, people are still going to want to come and see what they're buying at the end of the day. It's just a, a matter of how we get there. Hey, Robin, so uh, the developers that you deal with on a regular basis, you know, where is their head these days? Um, obviously, everybody wants to continue to make money. Everybody wants to continue, you know, to, to press forward, et cetera. I'm sure they all understand uh, the concern in the New York City marketplace more than anywhere else. What are they thinking these days about the future? Yeah. Um, when it comes to existing projects, um, I think it really depends upon where where they are um, in construction. Um, you know, a developer who has a completed building and has sold, say, half the inventory and still has half of the inventory left to sell is in a very different situation than a developer who's midstream construction um, and working on a project that, you know, most likely won't have a TCO, say, for another year. Um, and the, 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 the major difference really is Developers that have, say, 50% sold, and they are now at the at you know coming into um, a place where they need to have a little bit more um, motivation to get deals done. Most of these developers have uh, what's called inventory loans, and inventory loans essentially refresh the capital uh, stack, and they bring in a new lender. Um, some of those inventory loans are now coming due because they took them out um, just before they got a TCO. And that to me is sort of where the rubber meets the road. Some of the those inventory loans, the cost of them has gone up um, in that in the capital markets world by as much as 3x. So the cost to carry a project, you know, goes up significantly. And that to me is, you know, the 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 the, the place where developers are scratching their heads and really, you know, asking themselves what, you know, what should I do going forward? Um, and 
you know, I think that's something that's going to play out into the next quarter. Um, and I'd watch it really closely. But when thinking about projects that are already, say, only half built, um, I think that, you know, sales cycles will start a little different, a little later. We've already, that was already trending last year anyway. Um, so we would open sales galleries, say, a year, maximum 18 months in advance. You know, in a boom market, you could do it as much as two, two and a half years, you know, in advance of a TCO. So it really depends upon the specific situation, how much, what percentage of the building is in sales versus, versus sorry, what percentage of the building is sold versus not sold. So, you know, it's, it's really a case by case basis. Steve Kliegerman, we've got a couple of minutes left. Come back, kid, I call you. You talked the other day in our divisional call about uh, weathering through storms of down markets, et cetera. Give us your, your thoughts on how we go out of, get out of this based on what we've, you've been through in the past with some down markets. Sure. So uh, fortunately and unfortunately, I've been through a, a number of major ups and downs. I entered the business in uh, part-time in 87, full-time in 89. We had you know, high interest rates. The city was, uh, was, was blighted. Uh, we came out of that uh, a couple of years later. And then in 2000, we had the dot-com bust. And then 2001, unfortunately, 9-11. And then 2008, we had the recession. Uh, but each time, New York City came out of each of those situations stronger and better. Uh, New York literally is a city that never sleeps. And it has a, uh, a pride in ownership and tenancy that no other city can match. So I believe that New York will come back strong. We're fighters. Uh, you know, we're tough. And a uh, matter of fact, I was dropping off somebody at the airport this morning on the way driving back through Queens. There was a um, sign that said, New York City, get up, get, give up, forget about it. And that's the truth. Um, you know, what happens? We innovate. We innovate. We grow. We invest more in infrastructure. And the city comes out on the other end better. Uh, also, nationally and internationally, there's always a groundswell of support for New York City because it is the financial capital of the world. Uh, it's one of the cultural capitals of the world. So, you know, I think it's going to take some time. I think it's actually going to take a little bit longer this time than others because this has been a national and international crisis. But New York City always comes back strong. The jobs are here. The best brains, the best minds, the best innovators in the, in the nation and in the world are here. And for all those reasons, I, I do believe we'll come back very, very strong. All right, guys, Steve Kligerman, Robin Schneiderman, Hunter Frick, Halstead Development Marketing. That, thank you very much for being with us today. That is our broadcast for today. Thanks for joining us. You can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, or Instagram at Vince Rocco. Stay home, stay safe, stay in touch, and for every reason out there these days, be kind to one another. Keep your eye on the stars because uh, they're there, but also keep your feet on the ground for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program.